couple of weeks ago, I started talking to you about higher dimensions of character and lifestyle. Do you remember that? And I shared with you the definition of character. I shared with you what lifestyle is. And that very often in this day and age, we do not speak about character issues. And here's what I want to say. May the life of Christ in you be outworked in your everyday behavior. Amen. Amen. May the life of Christ that is in you be outworked in your everyday behavior. We spoke about things like um, being patient. Remember, and I shared with you that word makrothumos, right? Long-suffering, right? Far-distance passion, right? We spoke about loving people. We spoke about being patient. We spoke about truth and being grounded and not being shifted by every wind of doctrine. And now we're going to continue with point number seven, put off falsehood and embrace truth. Put off falsehood and embrace truth. Put off falsehood and embrace truth. Who does the putting off? We do it, we do it. And what I've realized is that a lot of Christians are walking in falsehood in their lives. Now the Bible tells us that the devil is the father of all, of all lies. So whenever you see a lie, then there's the devil around the corner. Amen. There's a devil very close to that person who's lying. Ephesians 4 verse 25. So we are exegeting Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. It says, Therefore, you must put off falsehood. That word falsehood in the Greek is the word pseudos. And that's where we get the word pseudo. You know, we talk about, oh, that's just a pseudo-Christian. Right? That's a pseudo-believer. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. That's the word aletheia. It's a different word. That's the word aletheia. You must speak truthfully to your neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone who is near you or around you. It doesn't necessarily mean your next door neighbor. It's someone who comes within your sphere, someone who you interact with. So the person at the shop, at the till, speak truthfully to your neighbor. The person at the school who you bump into, speak truthfully to your neighbor. It's anyone who is around you, amen, right? And then it goes on to say, for we are all members of one body. So stop lying to yourself, stop lying to people, and stop lying to God. Amen. Amen. Right? Let me just, let, let's go deeper into this thing of falsehood. Let's go deeper into this thing of falsehood. You see, you cannot be truthful to the people around you if you're lying to yourself. You cannot be truthful to the people around you if there's falsehood within yourself. And here's how it works. Very often we believe lies. We believe lies about ourselves, we believe lies about others, we believe lies about God, and we believe lies about how the world works. Have you noticed that? Just think about it. So, let's break it down. Lies about self. I'm not good enough. You see, some of you have become friends with those types of lies, and you're comfortable in that space. I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. Is that what Jesus is saying to you? Is Jesus saying you're not good enough? No, he's not saying that. So when you believe that you're not good enough, that means you're believing a lie. You're trafficking in falsehood. Just because it's a lie about yourself doesn't mean it's okay. Amen? Right? I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of being loved. Many people live in this space. 
I'm not worthy of being loved, therefore I must always perform in order to be loved and accepted. I must always do favors for everyone in order to be loved and accepted. Can you see that your belief system will always affect what? Your belief system will always affect your behavior. Your theology will affect your morality. Amen? How you view God and what you believe about God will affect your everyday life. My past defines me and my future. That's another lie people believe. My past will define me. My past defines me and my future. Fear of rejection. If people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. That's falsehood, isn't it? Some of you, I remember meeting someone recently and they said, you know what, my husband, he knows everything about me. He's my rock. She said something to that effect, okay? So it doesn't mean that if people know everything about you, they will reject you. But sometimes this becomes a guardian lie that stops us from making ourselves vulnerable. That is practicing falsehood. Amen. I have no purpose or value. In my wife's message last week, she says, everyone has a purpose. Everyone was conceived with a purpose. It doesn't matter the nature of the conception. Everyone has a purpose and value. Have you believed the lie that I have no purpose, I have no value? What about this? I'm not beautiful. How many of you know that beauty is in the eye of the beholder? God doesn't make junk. The fact that God made you how he made you. Are you saying God has got bad taste? And even when it comes to, and I'm, let me address the women in this place, because usually women are the ones who are more insecure about this. Ladies, I want to encourage you, they're different markets. You, you know what I'm talking about. I remember, meet, I remember coaching a particular lady, and she saw herself, I didn't really see it, but she saw herself as quite, quite large, and she says, but Paul, you know what? I'm catering for that market. You know, there's a market that likes that. You know, many women are like, I want to lose weight, I want to lose weight. I've had guys... Complain me saying, yeah, then now my wife is losing weight, Pastor. She's losing weight. Well, it's not a positive thing for them, okay? So people like different people in different shapes and sizes. God is creative in the way he gives you that shape, in the way he gives you that hair color or eye color. He's creative that way. Everyone is beautiful. Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever, uh, those of you who are moms, will have a child and think like, oh, my child is ugly. Okay? No. Other people might look and think that you'll just think like, you know, she's cute or he's cute. They say cute is ugly but adorable. Okay? <laughs> but anyway, the point I'm making is it's a lie when you believe that I am not beautiful. Amen. Okay? What about lies about others? They never struggle like I do. They have it easy. They will hate me for standing up for what I believe. No, sometimes when someone stands up for what they believe, I'm like proud of them. I'm like, oh, this person has got guts. That's a good thing, okay? They're all just jealous of me. Have you heard that before? And for some people, that's their default, isn't it? You know, instead of actually accepting that my boss gave me feedback, immediately they go to the default of, he's just jealous. Instead of accepting that maybe there are things I need to tweak in my life. I know it's because I'm black or because I'm white, or because I'm a female, because I'm a male, right? Those are lies that we believe about other people. Or what about this one? I can't trust anyone. Is that true? You can't trust anyone. I remember some years ago, someone I was coaching, and person came to me and says, I've got trust issues. I don't trust easily. And then I had more than two, I asked them more than two questions deep about, about their lives. And they ended up 
telling me various things. And I said, can you see what's happened to you? Because of what two people did to you at high school, now the 200 people that you know, you don't trust. How many of you know that they then have ideas about people around them that are based on lies? Remember where lies are, the devil is close by because he's the father of lies. What about lies about God? God is from my political party. You know some people think that. They think God is from their political party. He's a card-carrying member of their political party. Those people are all bad and all wrong. We are the good ones, you know? Or God is from my denomination, you know? Sometimes we think, you know, God is, go church. How many of you know that there are a lot of great churches out there? There are a lot of churches out there that do a lot of things that we admire, where God is moving powerfully and we can learn from them. And sometimes we get into an environment and we start thinking like, this is it. This is where God has chosen to just chill. You know, These, this is God's headquarters, guys. The other stuff there, I know, those are the, the out, you know, you know, in those, you know, back in the day, I don't know if you grew up in places where the toilets were outside. You know, and we kind of think like, you know, that's God's, that's God's toilet over there, and that's God's other things, the outhouses, out the, the shed out there. But no, this is his bedroom right here. No. God prefers others. That's also a lie. God's deep affection for me is dependent on me. God has deep affection for each person in this room, and is not dependent on how you are toward him. His love never changes. His love is perfect toward you and always has been. Amen? So just because you go off now and you have a long uh, time, a long fast or a long time of prayer and so on, don't now be more confident in God's presence thinking, I'm sure you love me more. And for many of you, it's not easy breaking out of that mindset, especially if you grew up in an environment where you were only applauded because of your performance. Amen? So it was drilled into you, that performance mindset was drilled into you from day one. I want to encourage us to put off falsehood. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, but put off falsehood. Stop trying to project something that you're not. Pseudo this and pseudo that. What lies have you believed about yourself? What lies have you believed about God? What lies have you believed about how the world works? You know, let me give you an example of a lie we believe about how the world works. Conflict is bad. Someone will always get hurt. So some of you are afraid of conflict because you've believed a lie about conflict. How many of you know that we don't just talk about managing conflict, we also talk about leveraging conflict. Conflict is not just something to manage. You can leverage off it. You can become closer to people through conflict, through having that difficult conversation. Amen? How many of you know that for relationships to work, they have to be tested. You have to go through that hard conversation. I see it happening even as people join the church, as people come to church. We have the honeymoon period, but at some point, someone has to rebuke you. At some point, someone has to correct you. And the people who survive the system are the people who are teachable, are the people who are like, great, this is what I want. People who can speak into my life. And some people who have what I call the orphan spirit, they can't handle the truth. You know what happens with the orphan spirit? I don't know if any of you have ever adopted someone or had someone stay with you because you're just looking after them. Have you noticed that if they're bound by the orphan spirit, they can't handle the truth. They can't handle rebuke. So what happens is the moment you're firm with them, what, what do they do? They then run away. I remember I was staying with some friends of mine before I got married and um, 
we, we had this guy who was, we almost like fostered him for a few days until we had to rebuke him. Then the guy disappeared. That's what the orphan spirit does. How many of you know the nature of true fathering involves rebuke? It involves correction. And I want to encourage you because the time will come with some of you where we have to have the hard conversation. But do you rejoice in the truth? Love rejoices in the truth. Or would you continue with falsehood in your life? Just think about it. Amen. Okay. Stop doing things with the intent to mislead and deceive. Sometimes we twist the truth and we deceive people. Is everyone fine with that? We're going to put off falsehood. Amen? Amen. We're going to put off falsehood. And even if other people don't pick up the falsehood in us, God is watching. Number eight, deal with anger issues. Has anyone here have anger issues? Don't worry, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anyone. Because when, when I ask a question like this, you'll see that someone will put, keep their hands down, then someone else next to you will be nudging you, saying, I think you should have raised your hand. I don't want to cause any conflict between people here. We're in church, right? We must just focus on the word. Right. Ephesians 4, verse 26 to 31 says, In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. So is there anything wrong with being angry? It says, in your anger, do not sin. That word for anger there in the Greek is the word orge or orge. And it's an interesting word because it's not talking about something that's sudden, the word that's used there. It's actually talking about a fixed position you have against something. It's actually a word that means to swell. Okay, so it's where you feel like, uh-uh, I disagree with this, uh-uh, that is wrong, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm opposing that. Okay, so it says, in your anger, do not sin. That word sin is to miss the mark. That's what sin is, isn't it? To miss the mark, to fall short of the mark. This is very powerful, because very often when we are angry, there's nothing wrong with that initial swelling about the particular thing, but often it causes us to miss the mark. And often we, we, we don't know what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. In other words, if I'm supposed to show affection toward my wife, that's the mark, that's the standard. But if my anger causes me to miss that, to fall short of that mark, remember elsewhere in scripture it says, for all have sinned and done what? Fallen short of the glory of God. We were created for glory. Amen? We were created to live in the glory dimension, the standard of his glory. And often what, we, what happens is we fall short of that glory. Don't, cause your, don't let your anger cause you to miss the mark. Is everyone following? Don't, don't let your anger cause you to miss the mark. Then it goes on to say something interesting. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still... In other words, don't stay angry for long. If you're angry about something, don't stay angry for long. And it's interesting because in the original language, it's actually a different word that is actually used there. It's the word parigismo. So don't let your anger become parigismo. Parigismo speaks of irritation. Do not stay in that irritation mode, in that frustrated mode, in that mode where you've been provoked to anger. Don't go to sleep in that state. Amen. That's what the scripture is saying. So sometimes you can feel like someone has pushed your buttons. 
And then you go to bed and you're still feeling it. And then the following morning, you're still feeling it. The Bible here is warning us and it's saying, don't let that thing happen to you. Amen. Don't let it happen to you. You know what? It's great when you let your anger cause you to do good things. How many of you know that there are things we should be angry about in the nation right now? At the end of the service, we're going to pray concerning certain things. We want us to pray for the rain. I want us to pray for various things. We'll pray. But there are certain things we need to be angry about. We need to be angry about corruption. We need to be angry about um, violence, particularly towards women in our society. And that anger should not cause us to sin. It should cause us to do good and to stand up for what we believe. Amen. All right. Now, it goes on to say, it says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a what? A foothold. Can you see that the two statements are linked? When you allow yourself to remain in that irritated state, provoked to anger for a long time, you actually give the devil a foothold and that your anger then becomes rage very often. That's why people talk about crimes of passion where this guy murdered his wife and this guy murdered his girlfriend and they were in a state of rage when they did that. But what does it start off as? Often it started off as anger. If the shoe fits, please wear it. Amen. Verse 31 then says, get rid of all bitterness. Some bitterness, all bitterness. Now that word bitter, it's the word picros, and it means acrid. It means malignant. So you know when people talk about, oh, this cancer, this tumor is malignant. What are they saying? It's infectious. It's harmful, right? So with bitterness, there's something in your heart that can cause harm towards another person. I've seen it happening. I remember coaching a particular person recently, and they said, Paul, what this person did to us. Do you know that, I, you know what, when I'm sitting at home, just in the quiet of my own home, I'm thinking to myself, I could destroy this person. Because this person had given me information and had told me certain things that they shouldn't be telling me. I can actually destroy them, Paul. And I had to say to this person, you know what? Get rid of this bitterness. Get rid of this stuff that is inside you. Because it ends up destroying you also. Amen? When you want to test whether you are bitter or not, ask yourself, what, what is your wish for the other person? I like asking people that question. What are you hoping for for that other person? And recently I've been doing so and I ask, and I say, what do you wish for that person? And you can see some people, they find it difficult to wish the person well. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus forgave you, did he say, you know what? Yeah, okay, you're not going to go to hell anymore, but... <laughs> ah, okay, it's fine. You'll just make it into heaven, but the rest of your life, you will never experience my presence. I'm withholding my affection from you. Ah, you're going to suffer. He didn't say that. The Bible tells us, and I'm going to read it later on. It says that in the same way that Christ forgave you, forgive other people. I don't know about you, but Christ has forgiven me. Christ has been merciful toward me. And he's continuously merciful toward me. When I think of his grace in my life, it's way supersedes my righteousness or anything I can call my righteousness. Amen? I also want to give that to other people. So he says, yeah, get rid of all bitterness. Okay? And that word bitter also means bitter envy. 
Have you noticed that very often when you are bitter, you are also envious? I'm sure you've seen that phrase before in scripture, bitter envy. Often when you are bitter, you are also envious. Because that person you have bitterness towards, how do you feel when they succeed? But they did this to me. And you know what's so sad? It happens even between couples. Some of you, you're married, but your spouses have done certain things wrong to you. And if the pastor says, hey, we're so grateful for brother so-and-so, all his hard work in the church, everyone else is clapping, applauding. But you're like, <laughs> you look like you've been baptized in lemon juice. <laughs> the pastor doesn't know what he's really like at home. You see it happening. I've seen situations where I'll praise someone in church, right? And I'll say, I remember one time I said, and said, said to a guy, wow, you're so strong, you can carry such and such. And his wife immediately says, I can also carry it. I'm like, we're celebrating your... It becomes like the kind of stuff where we have to deal with when we're dealing with our children, when we celebrate our child, and then the other one says, but also me. And we have grown-ups doing that. Explore your heart and say, is there bitter envy even toward my spouse? Amen. What I find interesting is there are a number of other words used here. It says get rid of wrath. Wrath is passion, it's storm, it's rage. When we talk about someone seething, right? Get rid of clamor. That word for clamor means an outcry, a shriek, where someone cries aloud, tantrums. I've said to my kids, I've said, guys, I'm not going to allow clamor in my space anymore. No more. I'm going to deal with it very, very seriously if there's clamor. Amen? I want to encourage you in your homes, don't allow the raising of voices. Don't allow shrieks. Don't allow uh, tantrums. It gives a foothold to the enemy. Amen? Remember the context here. It says, don't give foothold to the enemy. Then he unpacks the various ways in which we give the enemy a foothold. Okay? The next one, it talks about getting rid of slander. Slander. The word there is blasphemous. It's actually the word blasphemous. Do you know that when you blaspheme something, it's slanderous, isn't it? When you're blaspheming something, it's slanderous. Okay? Don't worry about the alarm outside. Loazi or Mpo is checking to see who it is. It's not any of you. Our cars are okay. Okay? Blasphemous. When someone is blasphemous, they're reversing spiritual or moral realities. So you're calling something that's good, bad. Right? You're affecting someone's reputation by what you say about them. And you know what the sad thing is? I don't know if it's ever happened to you. Has anyone, who, who here has had someone lie about them? Okay? And you know what the sad thing is? You wonder, does the person who lied, who made this lie, do they care about your reputation? Do they know what they've done in terms of your reputation? Sometimes some people, instead of actually saying, wait a minute, I think there was a misunderstanding. What do they do? They'll say, ah, that person lied. And they don't know who they're saying it to and the ramifications of that, even in the spirit realm. Okay? So just watch out in terms of that. Okay? Then there's the word malice. You know what malice means? It comes from a word that means wicked, evil intent morally rotten okay when there's when there's malice it means there's evil intent you want to cause harm watch out for that so what i find amazing is that 
you have stages of anger. Anger occurs in stages. And the starting point of a lot of anger, and I'm just going to be talking about one type of anger, the starting point is often frustration. Do you know that we have about 20 to 30 frustrations per day, the average person? Okay? They say 20, but I think it's maybe 20 to 30. So if you, if you try and make yourself a cup of tea, and then you take a sip, and you're late for work, and the milk is off, you can feel frustrated, right? Oh, I have to do it again, right? Now, watch, watch what happens. And some of you have read my anger book, okay? And I explain it all in there. The first stage is frustration and irritation. And this happens in a split second. The second stage is then blame. Be very careful when you blame someone else. So you might then say, but I told him he must check the sell-by date, right? Best before date, before he buys milk. So you've now assigned blame to someone. Can you see that the level of irritation goes up? You're irritated by a particular thing, but now it's, it was that person's fault, okay? Within split seconds, you then believe that that other person should be punished. They deserve punishment. So now, now, now you, you still feel you're holy. So now when the person comes home, and then they say, oh, I hurt myself today. Or, oh, my boss said that horrible thing to me. Secretly within yourself, you then like, yeah, no, he's learning now. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in life. Life is not perfect. Yeah, I think it was a good lesson. But can you see, it's linked to the thing you were irritated about. Because it's like, yes, that person deserves punishment. You're no longer compassionate or merciful. You're now like, they deserve punishment. And then the fourth stage, and this is where the irritation becomes wrath. The fourth stage is, I will punish you. I will punish you. And there are interesting ways in which people punish, eh? There are interesting ways in which people punish. One lady who worked for Boeing, she says, no, but you know what? I, my husband irritates me because he does this and this, and I'm often angry with him. The children don't listen to me. These people cut in the traffic and so on, and I'm angry with them. But I don't go out and punish anyone. I don't punish them. Then she was asked, so what do you do with your husband then when you're angry with him? She says, I just ignore him. I do my stuff. He does his stuff. And just carry on. Emotional withdrawal. You see, emotional withdrawal from someone you should be showing affection to can be a form of punishment. Amen? There are ways in which we punish people, and often it stems from anger. I want to encourage you from the very beginning, the very thing that you see that has irritated you, be very quick to suspend judgment. Be very quick to say, you know what, I also do this thing many times over. Then it stops as an irritation that has affected you, and it doesn't end up becoming wrath. Amen. Okay? This is how anger builds up, and just watch out for it. Sometimes we're angry for other reasons, but I'm not going to go into that. Is everyone comfortable with that? Let's deal with our anger issues. Amen. Number nine, stop stealing and start working hard. Stop doing what? Stealing. Stop stealing and start working hard. Some of you might say, but Paul, don't give us the law. Don't tell us do's and don'ts. You know what I'm telling you? Outwork the new life of Christ that is in you must be outworked behaviorally. It must be outworked behaviorally. And sometimes Christians don't do certain things because they never saw the standard. And so I'm doing the very thing that Paul the Apostle has done here in the book of 
Ephesians, where he's literally saying, this is what the Christian life looks like. And there are a lot of Christians, so-called Christians, that steal. And I'm going to show you the different ways in which people steal. Are you ready? In Ephesians 4, verse 28, it says, anyone who has been stealing must do what? Must steal no longer, but must work, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I love Paul the Apostle's outlook on life. He doesn't say that they may have money so that they can have this amazing lifestyle. That's not the primary purpose for money. He says so that they have something to share with those in need. How many of you, when you're believing God for your financial breakthrough, immediately are thinking, God, as you bless me with this, this is who I want to help. This is who I want to bless. How many of you know that there are many people out there where you giving them just a little bit of money will change their lives completely? But for you, you won't even feel the pinch. Can I go there? Yes. This year when we do our Business God's Way seminars, we'll do, we'll do a couple of them in Joburg, by the way, to gather people there. But when we do the, our Business God's Way, we're going to be addressing these issues because I believe that Christian entrepreneurs need to start thinking differently about certain things. There's a particular lady we know who um, was a semi-orphan, right? But extremely clever. And she was in a situation recently where she was basically in her final year of university and was about to give up because she didn't have transport money. Was literally looking for domestic work because she didn't have transport money. Then we said, how much is that transport money per month that you need in order to actually complete your degree? And then she told us, and in all honesty for us, it won't be a big deal. It won't really affect us much, okay? Yes, we could use the money for something else, but we gave it to her, and here she is. She's finishing off her degree. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Maybe some of you have had people come to you and say, but I need this for university fees, or I need that. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe you've had people come to you, and, or they don't say anything. You know how many dropouts we have for financial reasons from, from schools and universities? Lots. I want to encourage you, like Paul the Apostle said, he says here, must do something useful with his own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And as you are faithful with that type of sharing, guess what God will do? He'll be like, I can entrust you with more because your heart is in the right place. You're a giver. You're a generous person. Amen. You might not be able to help the whole world, but you can make a difference in that one person's life. Someone is getting that. Someone is getting that. Someone is getting that. So the reason for earning a living is so that we can share, we can be generous. Now, what are the different ways in which people steal? Freeloading. You know those people who carry on living with their parents, they're well into their 30s, but it's like, I'm just chilling here, because they can. And they end up not working hard because they'll be freeloaders. There's a problem there, people. There's a problem there. You know that we've got a lot of people who are now at that age of retirement who don't actually have much cash. And nowadays people retire at what, 60, 65, and they live up to 90. So that money needs to keep them going. 
but you still have guys well into their 30s. Please, if that applies to anyone here, don't. I'm not thinking of anyone in this church right now, okay? Don't be like, hey, did they tell, did, they, did, did my parents complain or something to the pastor? I'm not thinking of anyone here, okay? But don't be a freeloader. If you can do certain things, then do them. I'm shocked by people that well into their 30s, late 20s, and they don't even contribute to the groceries in their parents' home, but they're still staying there, rent-free. And because the, the mother is emotionally attached to the son, there's that thing of, eh, but, I but my son will suffer, my son will struggle. No, you're helping them by getting them to get on, on, uh, up on their own feet. Amen. 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 All right. Give them a grace period and say, by such and such a time, you need to sort yourself out, please. Instead of just doing things and doing things and doing things and then going and gossiping about it and saying, yeah, but the son of mine, uh, yeah, my son, okay, I'll help you. Because that's falsehood. Amen. Amen. Okay? It's one thing if someone is struggling for a season. It's another thing if that becomes a lifestyle. Do you know, you know what the Bible actually says? If you study the book of Thessalonians and other places, Paul the Apostle actually says, have nothing to do with the person who's idle. One of the things I hate is laziness. I hate laziness. I have nothing to do with the person who's idle. That's what the Bible actually says. Okay? You know that mindset of my parents or my friends will always bail me out. So then you try and have rich friends all the time to bail you out. Okay? One day there'll be no one bailing you out. What will you do? Okay? I remember having a discussion with a former gangster. And I said to him, and he said to me, Paul, you know what? I used to be a gangster. I said to him, oh, okay, tell me, so what, 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 why did you change? And he says, no, I gave my life to the Lord, but also I didn't want my kids to be growing up in such an environment. Fine. It must be difficult, isn't it, when you bring things for your child for their birthday, and you say, here, here's this new bicycle. And they're like, Daddy, where did you get that from? <laughs> okay. How do you feel? How do you feel? Right? So this guy says that, you know what, Paul, what we used to do, because I said, why do people end up doing that? Why do they have that lifestyle? Role modeling, bad role models. He says, Paul, we grew up, this guy's from Soweto, we grew up seeing our uncles doing it. Our uncles were gangsters, but today they're living in nice houses in Santon. They no longer live that lifestyle, but that's how they started out. That's what this guy said to me. So it was modeled. Then the next thing he said is, but Paul, you know what? We wanted what they had. We saw them with their flashy cars. We wanted what they had, but we wanted it now. Can you see what's happening? So I said, oh, so there's impatience. Yes. There's no delayed gratification. Yes. Can you see that when people steal, very often it comes from a heart, an evil heart that is impatient, that is lazy. Because I said to him, so, 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 so tell me more. And then he says to me, Paul, and who, you know, going to work is not easy. Who wants to get up every morning and go to work? And then you knock off at the end of the day. Who wants to do that? So I said, laziness. Yes. Laziness. And he was literally unpacking this whole thing. Greed, impatience, laziness, bad role modeling. Amen. If you see that in someone, especially with young people, uproot it now. If it's within yourself, uproot it now. Because at some point, that person will end up stealing. Someone is getting this. Someone is getting this. Entitlement is a big one also. People steal because they feel entitled. 
I remember in the Eastern Cape years ago, challenging some people. We did a stereotype reduction workshop, right? And then they were speaking about different groups of people. And to the one group of people, they say, you guys, you are wife beaters. Is that true? They said, yes, no, and we apologize to our women. I won't say what group of people they were talking about there. But they said, yeah, it's true, and we apologize to our women. You guys, you are lazy. Is that true? No, 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 no. We're just demotivated. We're just demotivated. That's why not. You guys, people say you are thieves. Is that true? Ah, no. We don't steal. We just feel like we're taking back what's rightfully ours. And they call it affirmative shopping. Okay? But that was the mindset. I remember, you know what? When someone steals, it, it comes from an evil heart. I remember speaking to someone and they said, yeah, no, stealing, no, we don't steal. Unless we're stealing from white people, then that's okay. But we generally, stealing is not good. Which shows me that you can only steal from someone when there's resent, where there's resentment, when there's an evil heart. If your heart is full of love from someone, how can you rob them? That's why some people who get burgled, they'll say, the hatred I saw in the person's eyes, Paul, when they did it. Amen? Let's, let's, let's keep unpacking this. The Bible says in Matthew 7 verse 12, do to others as you would have others do to you. So my question to you is, if you're stealing from your company, and there are different ways people steal from the company, and I'll break it down just now. If you're stealing from your company, if you owned a company and you had hired people, would you want them to be doing that to you? Would you want them to be using your money, your company money, for their postage? and for sending out parcels, because it happens a lot, doesn't it? Would you want them to be running up your phone bill, phoning overseas? You wouldn't. So don't do that to your employer. And doesn't matter how rich you think your employer is. You know that it's been found, one of the reasons people steal from certain people is they feel that it won't make a difference to that person. That person won't experience the impact of it. Right? So you have people, maybe domestic workers at times, maybe people who get access into people's houses and so on. And sometimes they think, if I just take one, two or three things, these guys won't even notice it, so it's okay. But what you've stolen, what you've robbed them of, is their, is their freedom and their peace of mind and their sense of not being violated. You've actually taken that away from them when you steal from them. Amen? Some research was carried out. In the, in the, during the, in the 80s, in uh, Chattanooga, right, in Tennessee, one of the cities in Tennessee, and I believe it's the same in many countries, but they actually found a high rate of youngsters. They, a survey actually revealed that 100,000, it was a survey of 100,000 kids aged 9 to 12, it revealed that 49% had shoplifted. Half of them had shoplifted, and of those, 60% said they would do it again. I said, no, it's fine. And you know what? Many of them and many people justify stealing from a big shop. They justify it based on it won't make a difference because this is a big supermarket chain. Amen? It's just the same as looting. Looting is another form of stealing, isn't it? Yeah. Right? And we're seeing it happening. We're seeing it happening so much. And why do people do it? Everyone else is doing it, so it's okay. It's not okay before God. Amen? Everyone else is doing it, or we won't get caught. That also comes up. We see a different type of looting. You know when someone breaks down? When someone breaks down, and in terms of their vehicle, it's on the side of the road, and then they leave it there unattended. People go and they take things, don't they, from the vehicle. 
One person had an experience where he actually, he broke down, his vehicle had broken down and so on, and he sees the guy taking the hubcaps off his wheels, off his tires. And he comes and he says, I beg your pardon to the guy. And the guy says, no, don't worry, Mac, uh, you take the battery and I'll take the hubcaps. Okay. We're seeing this happening a lot. Let me, let, 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 me just, let me just share with you some other forms of stealing. Borrowing things on a permanent basis. There was a guy we were at Vasti with. There was a guy we were at Vasti with. He had that habit. He would borrow things on a permanent basis. You knew if you lent him something, you knew it wasn't going to come back. But the problem is we only discovered this after some time. And he also had a habit of... Uh, you know, we, we used a lot of landlines in those days and the accommodations we were staying at. And he would just use people's phone, and then you see this massive phone bill, and he wasn't contributing to the phone bill. That's also a form of stealing. And at a certain point, we had to address it in a church context, okay? Because there's a Christian guy, we had to actually address it, give all the stuff back. And one time he came back to the house where we were staying, and I'm telling you, it was piles and piles of stuff that didn't belong to him, okay? Just watch out for, and look, I'm, I'm not saying we're perfect, right? One of the things I try to do is I'm careful about how much I borrow from people, because it's easy, you're visiting your friends and so on, ah, oh, you've got this DVD, can I watch it? Ah, oh, you've got it, but guess what? The moment it's now in your set, especially if you've got a lot of those things, you forget. Ah, uh, was this ours? Did we buy it or did we borrow it? Amen? Happens with books also. Ah, is this mine? Did I borrow it? So just be careful. If you can purchase your own things, that's good. If you borrow from someone, make sure you put it aside and you know this is so-and-so's. And put a little sticker on it, it's so-and-so's. Amen? Okay, don't borrow things on a permanent basis. Because you're robbing that person from enjoying that particular thing at that particular time. Come on, does the shoe fit here? I'm sure with all of us we've been there, okay? Um, Often people will, will steal from their organization. I've seen it with government departments. I remember someone working for the government, for a particular government, once said to me, yeah, the pay is not good, Paul, but you know, at least we can make calls overseas to our relatives and that kind of thing. It was in Zim at the time. We can make calls. And in that person's mind, they justified stealing from their company. Okay? Claiming other people's work is your own. Happens a lot, isn't it? Now, this is mine. People giving presentations and so on, taking credit for work, taking the credit for work that is not theirs. Claiming to offer a certain level of service, but failing to deliver. You market things and you say, we will offer you this and this and this. And then people do what? They pay you based on what you've said. And then you pitch up and you realize it wasn't what was sold to us. And you know the sad thing is this happens in ministry also, hey? Come here, give your tithe, and you will have your breakthrough. But I've been waiting for my breakthrough for the last three years. The person was a swindler. Amen. Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, it says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of, of God? So who will not inherit the kingdom of God? Wrongdoers. But then I like Paul because he always unpacks things, doesn't he? So he unpacks what wrongdoing looks like. And what does he say? He says, do not be deceived. So it's easy for us to be deceived in this area. And he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, 
people worshiping foreign gods, etc. Nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves. Can you see it's come up? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor the greedy, that often goes with stealing. Nor drunkards, drunkards. Nor slanderers, nor swindlers. Can you see he talks about thieves, the greedy, and swindlers. What is a swindler? A con man. Will inherit the kingdom of God. Now where does stealing come from? Matthew 15, 19 to 20 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. What are these evil thoughts? Murder. You don't just go and kill someone. It comes from the evil intent, doesn't it? Okay? So come murder, adultery, sexual immorality. You don't just jump into bed with someone who you're not married to. It first starts off as a fantasy, as something you calculate, as something you think about. It doesn't just happen. You know, people think, ah, oh, then suddenly this baby came. Babies don't just come suddenly. Someone said that in one of my workshops the other day. Says, in life, you know, things just happen. Then suddenly you see you're married. Then suddenly this baby comes. And I said in front of the whole group, I said, it doesn't happen suddenly. In most cases, the baby comes after nine months, okay? And the process for the baby to come, clothes have to have been removed, unless you've got ways of doing these, these things without removal of clothes, right? It was a process. So it starts off as an evil intent. Right? And what is one of the things that is mentioned? It says theft, false testimony, slander. Amen. Are you guys fine with that concept? No stealing. And are we understanding and are we on the same page that stealing isn't just, oh, I took five rand from you. Sometimes it's stealing in other ways. Sometimes it's stealing from your employer and you will reap what you sow. Don't be deceived. Amen. Okay? With Christians especially, going to work and then spending 10 hours at work counseling people. But you're not being paid to counsel people. On the phone, using the, 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 the company phone bill. I'm counseling, I'm doing God's work. No, God called you to give glory to Him by working well with a spirit of excellence. Amen? I'm not saying you mustn't reach the lost at, at work. Please get me, get, understand me. But what I'm saying is, when you do it, make sure you're giving them what they're paying you to do, not shortchanging them. Amen? Let me, let, me, let me tell you something. Jesus says, or God says in his word, a workman is worthy of his wage. This is a very powerful revelation. A workman is worthy of his wage. If your company is not paying you, what you feel you are worthy of. See God as your source because God practices what he preaches. He's like, a workman is worthy of his wage. They're not paying my son or my daughter enough, but this son or daughter works for me and is doing it as unto the Lord. I will make up the difference. I will make up the difference. But if you're trying to make up the difference in your own strength by stealing from your company, you're tying God's hands. God's like, you're doing it in the flesh anyway by yourself. Do you get that? Okay. God is so faithful. Number 10, mind your language. Mind your what? Language. Mind your language. In verse 29, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only 
say to the person next to you, but only. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is such a powerful statement. When the nature of Christ is in us, it affects our speech. And the Holy Spirit is sensitive to what we say, whether it's positive or negative. Amen. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you and I are responsible for what comes out of our mouths. We can't say, she made me do it. The devil made me do it. No. We are accountable for what comes out of our mouths. Amen. Okay? So, what comes out of your mouth is based on what's in your heart. What's in your heart is what you've let into your heart. Watch out. What are you letting into your heart through your eye gate and through your ear gate? Because whatever you let into your heart eventually will come out. Amen? Whatever you let into your heart will eventually come out. If you're letting pornography come through your eyes, one day, friends, it will manifest itself in a situation. Amen. Whatever you let come into your heart will come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now let's break this down a little bit. What does he mean when he says our speech should be pure and wholesome? You know when he says, when he says do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That word unwholesome is the word sapros, and it literally means rotten or worthless. Do not let anything rotten or worthless come out of your mouth. What's the worth of my words? Have my words become rotten or worthless? Just think about that. Then he goes on to say, it should be helpful for building others up. Everything that comes out of my mouth, I should be asking the question, is it building others up? Then he says something interesting. According to their needs. In other words, my speech should be relevant. Amen? Very often what can come out of my mouth might not be according to the person's needs. It might be according to my own needs. You see, there are a lot of people who become very draining because whenever they open their mouth, it's because of their needs. Not the needs of the people who are listening to you. Amen? People should be able to give us feedback and they should actually say, you spent all that time talking, but it was not according to my needs. I think you were maybe ministering to your own needs when you were just doing all that talking. Amen? And maybe we should be open about it. Maybe sometimes when we talk, we should be saying, I'm saying this really for myself, not for your benefit. And there's a place for that in relationship. Amen? It says, according to their needs, our speech should be relevant. And then it says, beneficial to those who hear. Of what benefit is what you say to the people around you? Just think about that. Number 11, be kind and forgiving. Be kind and forgiving. Verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Could it be that maybe we sometimes struggle to forgive people because we don't have a revelation of how Christ has actually forgiven us? Just think about that. That word Christ is the word Christos, not Christos, but Christos. And it literally means useful, pleasant, gentle, well-resourced, and serviceable. What do we mean by someone who's well-resourced? Whenever you go to them, often they can make a plan. 
They actually take time to think about it and say, uh, speak to this person. Uh, they're resourceful that way. Don't you like those kind of people? And we call those people kind-hearted. Kind-hearted. I want to encourage you because some of you have been hurt in this life. You've been hurt in this life. And you've hardened your hearts. Here, we're learning that we must be kind-hearted to the people around us. We must be forgiving to the people around us. We must be compassionate to the people around us. That word forgiving is an interesting one. It means showing favor to someone. It means to pardon someone. It's a favor that cancels. Isn't that powerful? It's a favor that actually cancels the debt. It says, I'm not holding it against you. Some of you are in a space where you're like, you know what, if I want the gospel to transform me, you learned about this last week, if I want the gospel to truly transform me, I have to outwork some of the stuff in my life. The day and age of people just coming up to the altar, coming up to the front and saying, I give my life to the Lord, but there's no life change. That day is over. Number 12, represent Christ. Represent him well by following his example. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God can you see how he's emphasizing this thing of love you know just before that he had used the word when I was talking about forgiving one of the words he had used was be tender-hearted towards each other you know what I've noticed about being tender-hearted that's what women want gentlemen in the room that's what women want. And ladies, a lot of you, when we ask you, what are you looking for in a dude? Now I've got some of your attention. What are you looking for in a dude? What do you say? You say, he must be a go-getter. He must be proactive. He must be this, he must be this, he must be this. Don't forget the tender-hearted aspect. Amen? Because this guy who you admire, who's this wonderful hero, when you live with them 24-7, you're not going to be wanting someone who's just conquering the world. You're not going to be like on your deathbed, my hubby conquered the world. You will be, was he tender toward me? The last thing you want is to be one of those women who says, you know what? He pastored the whole world. Many people got saved through him, but he forgot about us. And you, you end up bitter. Amen. I want to encourage you ladies, choose the right guy in terms of tenderness. It's very important. And I want to encourage you gentlemen, if you're the kind of person who's hard and tough, because that's what life has done to you. Ask God to soften your heart. Amen? And it's an ongoing process. None of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. Ask God to soften your heart. My wife usually likes to, to record these portions. She's probably thinking, I'm glad that part is being recorded. Yes! Because if ever, if ever, I know I'll play it back to him. Remember what you said. I can see she's putting this into a certain file, you know. This one will not be forgotten. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we must follow Christ's example. You know what's interesting about Christ? What's interesting about Christ? Everything he did, he did as a man under the anointing. 
Often we see him doing things and we think, but he only did that because he was the son of God. No, he was a man just like you and me. But he did it under the anointing. So that's why we should have those bracelets or think about the concept of those bracelets. What would Jesus do? When everyone else was chasing the kids away, he says, no, bring the kids to me. Bring them to me and he'll put one of them on his lap. Jesus is our example. Amen. Number 13, walk in complete sexual purity. Walk in what? Complete sexual purity. This is a biggie because when people fall in this particular area, society is not that forgiving. Have you noticed that? If you're a pastor or a minister of the gospel and so on, and people hear that, I know the guy had anger issues or the guy had a problem with patience. He would get a bit impatient and so on. You can forgive that. It's easy to forgive. But when you hear that, oh, pastor so-and-so had multiple affairs, immediately you're like, this guy is a con man. All right? Let me say something to you, and this is so important. I want to read the scripture first. It says, but among you, this is Ephesians 5, 3 to 6, but among you, there must not even be, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. There must not be a what? A hint. So there mustn't be stuff that's de debatable or a gray, gray area. And I want to warn you, especially the, the men in this room, who want to be greatly used by God. There are predatory women out there. There are what? There are predatory women out there. And there's a predatory press out there. So sometimes some of the boundaries we have with the opposite sex is not because we don't trust that particular person. Sometimes it's actually because if someone sees us in that situation, they could spread a rumor that is false. Amen. Is everyone, everyone following me? Okay, so there's certain things you do. I won't have a meeting with another female without my wife knowing about it, right? In the rare occasion that I have to give a lift, even a lift, to someone of the opposite sex, which I hardly do, okay? I only do it maybe for short distances and so on. I don't know why people will travel long distance, like Durban or Limpopo, and so on, with someone of the opposite sex. Think about it, you're in close proximity. In real life, you wouldn't sit for six hours with this woman here talking like this, talking like this, talking like this. That's why you then hear stories that, yeah, then she put her hand onto my lap. And then there was one guy that happened to him. And immediately he stopped the car. It was a work thing, a work conference. And immediately he stopped the car and waited. He says, I have to make a very important phone call. And he phoned his pastor and said, I just want to tell you, this has just happened. Because he was accountable to someone. Amen? If I'm giving a lift to someone of the opposite sex, you'll find, I'll phone my wife and I'll say, oh, I just wanted to let you know I'm giving so-and-so a lift. Then she knows. And then I'll drop off the person, and as I'm leaving, I'll say, I've just dropped off the person, I'm now going. Because the more influential you get, people tell stories. And you have to be able to say, well, do you remember what happened, what time was it, etc." And sometimes we look at these things and we think, oh no, that's so extreme, oh that's, you know. When you're meeting and ministering to someone, I'm going to cover it in meet when we talk about ministerial ethics. If you have to interact with someone of the opposite sex, do it in a public setting where people can see you. Don't be alone with the person. I know, I went to her house and it was just the two of us and we were just, you know, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Those of you who are in relationships, how many of you are in relationships but not yet married? Raise your hand. We need to, we need to know you. We need to know. All right? You know, you hear guys, uh, so, so pastor, what's the, what's the bare 
minimum I need to do? Like with, with, with what, what's the, you know, you want to know the exact boundary. You know, shoot high, have high standards. Otherwise, if you keep doing like this, like you're the edge of the Victoria Falls, yeah. oh, you'll go over. Amen? I know we were just lying on the bed together, you know, nothing was happening, we are just relaxing on the bed. No, the bed will be the catalyst for other things. Are you hearing me this morning? It says here, there must not be a hint. There must not be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So we've been made holy. He's cleansed us. And that must be outworked now in how we live our lives. And then it goes on to say, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, there we go again, impure or greedy person, such, per, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. What are the principles we get here? Don't play with fire. Okay? Embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. Some of you ladies, you're the polite type. So you don't know how to block a guy. A guy comes to you, start making moves, you realize the guy is actually married, but you don't want to be presumptuous, and you're like, hey, hey, embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. Tell the guy, uh-uh, I ain't into you. Amen? As opposed to, no, he might think that I think I'm just it. Uh-uh. <laughs> Avoid the appearance of evil. Avoid the appearance of evil. And, and you know when the Bible says don't partake in coarse jesting, it's all about rude jokes. You see, some people have a mindset of, no, it's okay laughing at it. No, when you laugh at something, you're applauding it. When you laugh at something or about something, you're celebrating it. Think about it. You feel celebrated when people laugh at you, don't you? Or laugh you know, at a joke you've cracked, not laugh at you, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Don't rejoice in it through, through humor, okay? Number 14, be wise about who you associate with. Be wise about who you associate with. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 to 15, it says, Therefore do not be partners with them. For, once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. So live out what has happened to you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Some people have to wake up, eh? Some Christians. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What are the principles we get from here? Let me ask you a question. What are the fruitless deeds of darkness around you? They're fruitless. They don't produce fruit. What is your role in exposing darkness? Because it says, don't participate in these. Instead, do what? Expose them. Right? How can you shift your life to a place where you have nothing to do with these things? The Bible says, don't partner with these people and don't have anything to do with them. A 
Are there any shameful things you do in secret? When I look around, there are guilty looks all across, all across the room. Okay, are there any shameful things you do in secret? How can you wake up as a Christian? Please say to the person next to you, wake up. Okay. Number 15, be careful about your lifestyle. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, be very careful, not just careful, it says be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let me tell you something. There's God's will in terms of your life purpose, but there's also God's will in terms of your lifestyle. Understand what God's will is. Remember, we started in Ephesians 4 verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, as a prisoner for Christ's sake, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be careful how you should live. In fact, it says, be very careful how you should live. How can you take more care about how you're living? How can you exercise wisdom in your lifestyle? How can you make the most of every opportunity? I want to live a life where I'm making the most of every opportunity. I don't want to just kill time. I don't want to just spend time. I want to invest time. That's what the scripture is talking about. Amen. Do you fully understand God's will for your life? He would not ask you to do something that you're not able to do. So when God has a standard for our lives, he will not give you a standard and feel like, ah, but I know you can't do this. He knows we can't do it in our own strength. So with all these things that we're sharing, it's important that we're going before God and we're saying, Lord, help me to live out the new life of Christ that is in me. Amen. Number 16, abandon drunkenness for praise. Abandon what? Abandon what? Right, right. Abandon drunkenness for praise. Ephesians 5, verse 18 to 20. It says, and do not get drunk with wine. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Let me explain to you that word. That word dissipation, basically, is the word asotia. The word sotia or soteria or sozo means salvation. In the Greek, whenever they put an A before it, it means the opposite of it. So when it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, it basically means, do not get drunk with wine, for that is unsavedness. Another meaning of that word is, it's wasteful. It leads to dissipation. It leads to wastefulness. Are you hearing me? Okay, a lot of money is wasted because of drunkenness. A lot of lives are wasted because of drunkenness. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go deep into this. Then he says, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So let your worshipping of Jesus be your true source of joy, not alcohol. Amen. Let Jesus be your strong tower that you run to. Jesus hates idolatry. Because often you'll find when I've worked with people or counseled people who have a drinking problem, often I'll say to them, what triggers it? And they might say, it's when I'm feeling lonely. It's when I feel like I've become a failure. What do they do? They run to the bottle. And Jesus is saying, I want to be your strong tower. 
I want to be the one you run to, not alcohol. And guys, it's so sad when you look at the statistics because many of you think like, oh no, but it's okay. Oh no, it's fine. Do you know that 50% of teenagers in this country consume alcohol? 50%. And a lot of them drive illegally. We know that. Do you know that in this nation, we came out, if you look at the stats in terms of Forbes, when you get the notes, you'll see all the, all the, you'll see the references. But there was a Forbes study that was actually done, okay, just in terms of road safety. And guess what? 58%, this was end of 2015, 58% of deaths in road accidents in this country, 58% are alcohol related. You know what that is in the world? Number one, South Africa, number one. Number two was Canada, that was at about 38%. Do you know that it's been found that if you're driving on the road at night in this country, one in seven of the people who are driving around you are under the influence of alcohol. It's been shown that there's a link between domestic violence and alcohol. About half the cases we have of domestic violence, right, are alcohol related. And an even higher percentage of um, violence between romantic partners, alcohol related. Do you know what alcohol does? What it does is it gets whatever's in you, that evil intent, it gives you the boldness to end up doing it. So you'll find people who are there, they're having lustful thoughts and that kind of thing, but because of self-respect, ah, they don't do anything. Then once they intoxicate, what happens? It all comes out. Okay, that's why you must watch what's in you. One of the sad things is in this nation, 25% of the drinking population, of people who drink, 25% of the drinking population do binge drinking. That's excessive drinking in a short period of time. And you know where the deception is? Those same people, and please, I've counseled lots of people, coached lots of people, so I know what I'm talking about. Those people, I see it even in marriages. It's like, no, but my husband, it's okay because it only happens once every three months. And that person is deceived to think that they don't have a drinking problem because of the regularity. But when it does happen, what are the consequences? Amen? These are things as a church we must hate. These are things as a church we must fight against. These are things that should cause us to be angry, but then with spiritual aggression, we challenge these things in the spirit. Be very careful even as your children are growing up, because these stats are on the increase. This situation is getting darker, it's not improving. Amen? And for those of you who are drinkers, I'm not, but those of you who might be drinkers and so on, be, please be careful of the deception around it very often. The deception around it. I can show you, those of you who drink strong drink, I can actually show you a biblical case against strong drink because of the alcohol content in it. Okay? If you look at, if you look at, um, the Old Testament, if you look through like Proverbs and so on, and the number of references made to strong drink, you won't actually see anything positive said. Okay? So ask yourself, is this a fruitless deed? What is it doing? How is it glorifying Jesus? How is it helping? Ask yourself, what are my senses like spiritually when I'm under the influence of alcohol? There might be some of you, maybe you have half a glass of wine once in a while at a wedding or something. I'm not mainly addressing you guys. I'm addressing the people where you know that you've got a problem in this area. Amen. And maybe ask the people around you also because often we are deceived. Finally, 
and I've run out of time. Point number 17, submit to one another. Submit to one another. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The word submit is the word upataso, and it literally means to rank yourself under. To rank yourself under. Right? So it says, be subject one to another. Do you know what it means? Very often as leaders, we are in authority, aren't we? We're in authority, aren't we? But we confuse authority and competency. Just because I'm in authority in this church does not mean that I'm competent in every area in this church. And in the areas that I'm not competent in, I must actually submit to those who are clued up in that area. Amen? So I don't go and I, I say to CAs like Q, this is how you must do the budget. It must happen like this and this. I'm like, hey, Fim, Q, how are we going to do the budget this year? These are my thoughts. What do you guys think? I'm yielding to them. Be subject to one another. Does that make sense? Okay. A lot of people struggle with this. You see, you're always moving from a place of being in authority and under authority. Someone can be a CEO in an organization, but the moment they walk through this door, they no longer the boss. Please say, I hear you. They no longer the boss. They can't come in and say, do you know who I am? You are pastor. You know, the way you should run a church. They're now under authority. That's why we say, my brother, just sit down. Just, just sit down over there and we'll teach you. Okay, just keep quiet. Look and listen. Look and listen and we'll teach you the Bible. Even though the person is a CEO. That same CEO, when they go to the child's school, if someone who's directing traffic or a security guard says, park here, not there. That CEO should be humble enough to know that I'm not in authority here. I'm under authority. I cannot say, do you know who I am? I'll park wherever I want. You're now submitting to another person. When they get onto the highway, they're submitting to Gauteng Metro Police. Some people struggle with that, eh? Some people struggle with that. They think they're everyone's boss. There's certain meetings in this church where it's not useful me being there. Because if I'm there, other people will keep quiet and they'll be looking to me for the answers. But they're the experts in that area. God, may you help us. Let's pray.